I'd love for you to turn to Psalm 103 with me tonight. And I've been really, really looking forward to this. Um, really looking forward to what we're going to talk about tonight. I, I, I really believe that if we would live this out, every day would be different. In fact, my expectation tonight, maybe I'm shooting for the moon, but, but my expectation tonight and what I really hope you take from this is something that you'll do daily. It's a discipline you'll integrate into your daily life that I think will change the way you think and change the way your whole day, every day goes. And, and honestly, if one person tonight did this, I'd be really, really happy. I'd be super happy if you all did. But if one person walked out of here and said, every day I'm going to do this, every day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start making this a part of my day, then um, that would be huge for me. I, I, I've gotten to the place... Um, let's see, I, I, on a normal week, I'll preach on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and lead a Thursday night Bible study. So I have no need to preach new messages. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I preach enough. So I've gotten to the place where I really have no, I've got no desire to just stretch my preaching muscles or, or, or see if I can preach a certain way. Like, it's not the point, and I hope it never was, but the more I grow in, in Christ and the more I grow as a pastor and a disciple of Jesus, uh, the more I really want to make disciples. Amen. I'm not really interested in preaching a really good message. I, I really want disciples to be made. And so tonight um, and, and in this whole series and even in Sunday as we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer, my desire is that we would, we would take something and integrate it and live it and not just learn something. Um, because learning, uh, in our Western modern ideal, learning is just obtaining information. But information doesn't make knowledge, and knowledge alone doesn't make wisdom, right? Uh, information is information. It's just trivia until it, until it becomes knowledge. It doesn't really become knowledge until you start putting it into practice. And it becomes wisdom as you've practiced for a while, as you've live that out, then knowledge, you know, knowledge has wisdom. And, and of course, we know wisdom comes from God. Um, but information without practice is just trivia. That's all it is. Trivia has no power beyond winning a, a Bible-based board game. And I, I know them all. I worked at the Christian bookstore. I'm aware, you may not know it, but all your favorite board games have like a Christian alternative. If Pictionary wasn't sanctified enough for you, there's Bible Pictionary. Actually, Bible Pictionary is pretty cool. There's Bible Tribon. There's Bible Apples to Apples. There's probably Bible Monopoly. I've just never seen it. So, but you can win all those board games by having all the scriptures in your head. But it won't give you any victory in life. It won't give you any fruit in life. Jesus said to abide in his word. Abide in his word is not, not putting all the word in your head. Right, right. It's living in it. It's letting it live in you. I had a conversation with one of our guest speakers recently. We were talking, you know, he, he was just saying, I hope this, I hope that that blessed your congregation. I hope it leads to something good. And I said, you know, I find, my hope is that, that when something really gives life and, and new life springs up, the cool thing is, is that life, 
When something is alive, it springs up in unexpected places and it kind of, it gets, it almost gets out of control in a good way. You know what I mean? You can't predict its growth when vines are growing or things are growing in nature. Once they grow, it's, they, they find ways to grow in places you didn't expect. And I truly believe that when a church is full of the life of God, life finds a way in places you didn't think it would find a way. Life, life, life pops out in funny places, right? And so um, my prayer is that if we would take a step of discipleship tonight through this word, and it's very simple, but if you would, if you would choose to make something of it, um, I believe it'll bear fruit in your life. So Psalm 103, uh, of course, this is a Psalm of King David. And um, I like to lump Psalm 103 and probably some Psalms before that, but I like to read 103 all the way through 106. Because it kind of builds, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But this is actually part, the last part, Psalm 103 through Psalm 106, are the last part of book four of the Psalms. You may not know, but the Psalms are split up into five books. Right. Um, we don't know who did that. Somebody a long, long time ago split them up. Um, and the five echoes the five of the Torah. There's this... You know, that, that, that was a number that, that had significance to them in their reading of the word. And so this is the end of book four. And all of these kind of build to a climax and they go together. Um, but in Psalm 103, it's probably one of the most famous, famous psalms that, that we have. It's one of those that you'll know well. Right up there with Psalm 23 and Psalm 91, Psalm 103 is an amazing psalm. Uh, it's one that, that I, I just go back to and... And, it, and it, it feeds me every time I read it. And I would like us to read it in a way that, that doesn't just say we learned something about Psalm 103. I would like you to put this into practice because David is doing something that I think we all should do. And David is tending to his own soul. He is blessing the Lord. And in fact, all of these Psalms were written for the nation. So it wasn't just for him, it was for everybody. But it's, it's something that's going to tend the garden of your soul. Uh, and it starts out with these words, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Stop for a minute and, and let's just consider. There are places in the Bible where the phrase we bless the Lord with, with our lips or we bless the Lord with our tongue. You know, James says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father so we shouldn't curse our brothers, right? So a lot of times you say, I'll bless the Lord with my mouth. I'll bless the Lord with my voice. But David here says, I'm going to bless the Lord with my soul. He doesn't just say, I'm going to. He's actually talking to his soul. Right. Bless the Lord, my soul. Now, a lot of times when we go through the Bible, words like heart and soul aren't always easily defined. Sometimes the heart is talking more about that, you know, that place of your emotions. Sometimes it's talking about your spirit. You know, depending on the verse and where you pull it from, it's not always talking about the same thing. But soul, often in the scripture, especially in the New Testament, soul is referring to your mind, your will, your emotions. It's, it's that, that seed of emotion, the seed of reason and logic, uh, the seed of the will, Right? All of those things are really, really important tools in serving God. It's really important, and they could be awesome tools. It's really important that your, your emotions are involved in your serving the Lord. Now, there's a whole group of Christians who think that's terrible. 
Keep emotions out of it. It should all be rational and reasonable and logical. But I have a hard time reading the Bible and seeing the worship of the king always as rational, reasonable, and logical. I think there's quite a bit of emotion in there. I think Jesus showed a lot of emotion. I, I think God, emotion comes from him. And though he's not governed by emotions, nor should you be, God has emotions. He talks about them. So emotions aren't bad. In fact, they're only bad if they're leading the show. They're really good. Emotions are good. God gave them to you, right? Emotions are good. The will is great, right? I will praise the Lord. I will rejoice. I will, you know, you're choosing to do something you don't feel like doing. The will is important. Reason and logic, when submitted to the Spirit of God, become awesome tools in the hands of the Lord. Like when your reason begins to, to say, Lord, you are the most logical entity in the universe. Now, he's not always logical to you because he's so much bigger that sometimes he just doesn't make sense to you. But that doesn't mean he doesn't make sense or he doesn't have order, right? It just means that, you, you, you know, you're, you're trying to comprehend something that's way bigger, and so we have to come into submission to him, and by the help of his spirit, you begin to see as he wants you to see, and we have the mind of Christ. And then... All of these things can be great tools, but you all know that they could be the greatest obstacles in your life too, right? Your emotions can really get in the way of, of, of following Jesus. Your will, if you're stubborn and rebellious, can really get in the way of following Jesus. Your reason and your logic, because so many of the things of God are so much bigger than you can understand, if you have to wait till you fully understand everything, you'll miss out on most of the things God does because God is not waiting for you to understand with no offense, your puny little mind, what he's doing. So sometimes all of those things can be either obstacles or tools. Right? And it's really up to you what they are. It's really up to you how they're used. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. The word bless is to speak well of, to, you know, it, it can sometimes mean to give something. Sometimes it means to say something good. You know, sometimes it means to, uh, to I mean, especially in the Old Testament, Hebrew blessing was a lot more than just a nice thing. It, it carried weight. It carried something with it. And bless the Lord, oh, my soul, how do I do that? How do I bless the Lord with my soul? Not just with my mouth, not just with, you know, something I've learned. How do I, how do I use my soul? How do I poke and prod my soul? Because every time in the Psalms you hear him say, hey, soul, oh, my soul. When he begins to talk to his own soul, he's poking it. He's prodding it. He's bugging it a little bit, right? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Hope in God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I've said this so many times. Please forgive me, but let me say it again. Our culture has taught us that everything, every feeling or every thought that comes your way is equally valid. It's just, if it exists, it's valid. Right? It's just, if it popped up in your head, somehow there's validity to it. But we learn as believers that you don't have to dwell on every thought. You don't have to take every thought. You don't have to adopt every thought. You don't have to foster it. You don't have to care for it. There are certain things that, you know, Jesus, 
showed us how to deal with temptation. It wasn't a sin to be tempted. It sure would have been wrong or lustful to entertain temptation. So just because something popped in your head doesn't mean you have to keep it there. And here's the other cool thing. You're not living in reaction to what's happening. You get to choose what you're going to set your mind on. This is one of the great ways to do it. Hey, soul, let's bless the Lord. How am I going to do that? Well, the way David does it is he begins to dig into his own soul for what do I have to thank God about? What do I have to thank God about? And here he's going to use his memory as an instrument of worship. He says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and, and all that is within me. So he's leaving nothing out. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. So what's the opposite of forgetting? Remembering, right? So I'm going to make sure I don't forget his benefits. Well, how could you? We all say, how in the world could you forget what God has done? We say that, but really it's quite easy to forget things. Forgetting doesn't mean you couldn't remember it if you tried. It just means that you're not remembering it right now. In fact, this word that's translated here, remember, can also be translated as ignore. Don't ignore his benefits. You see, it's not that you can't bring it to mind. A lot of times when we say I forgot something, it means I'm trying to remember it, I can't. In the Bible, a lot of times forget doesn't mean that you couldn't remember it. It's that you're choosing not to remember it. Or rather that you're not choosing to remember. It's not that you can't access the memory. It's just that you're not. It's like the Israelites. We're always going to bring those guys up. It's like them going and grumbling because they're tired of the food they're eating, but they forgot that God is feeding them from the sky. Or the Israelites think they're going to die and they forgot that God brought them away from the Egyptians through mighty signs and wonders, through a sea by splitting it in two, right? Making poison water clean, making water come from a rock, giving them an oasis in the middle of the desert, keeping the scorpions and the serpents away from them, making their clothes not wear out, making their shoes not wear out. All of these things God kept doing, and yet they get to a point when something gets hard, they don't remember that, they forget that, right? So when he says don't forget, he's not saying like make sure you don't get to a point where you just can't possibly think of it. He's saying you need to choose to bring this up as much as you can. Bring it up. How do we bring something up? Talk about it. Speak about it. You're, you're, you should be the, the crazy person in the park constantly talking to themselves. That should be you. You should make people feel a little awkward when they're watching you from a distance. That's okay. You need to be the person that's talking to yourself a lot. It's biblical. It's what the Bible calls meditation. We, we, you know, people think meditation belongs to some weird Eastern religion. No, it comes up. Joshua 1 tells us, meditate on the Lord's law day and night. The Hebrew word for meditate meant to mutter to yourself. And, and it's a word that, that kind of called to mind the chewing of the cud. You know, keep it rolling over and over. So here he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, 
who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. Stop there for a minute and, and think of the gravity, the, the massive nature of what he's saying. Many people, many scholars believe that David wrote this later in his life. See, if, when we think of the life of David, we think of a victorious, God-honoring life that's forever going to be one of your favorite Bible stories, and Jesus himself calls himself the son of David. I mean, this, this is one of the great lives in the Bible. But do you realize if you put all the events of David's life on a bulletin board, you could also see it as a tragic life, depending on how you looked at it. I mean, when we look at David's life, we go, oh, shepherd boy who came to know God, knew God's power through uh, fighting lions and bears, killed a giant, chopped off his head. Maybe that's not in your children's book, but, you know, that defeated a giant, later became king, wrote all these psalms, you know, father of Solomon, prepared the plans for the temple, raised the money for the temple. We think of a man who, I mean, he built a tabernacle. I mean, we, we think of a man who really had a great life. But what if I were to put his life this way? David grew up with his brothers thinking he was nothing. With his father not even mentioning him when someone asked, who are your sons? When he does go and try to help his brothers, they immediately put him down. Yeah, he has a victory, but the woman he marries doesn't even really like him, it seems. His own father-in-law makes it his mission in life to kill him. You see, there's no evidence in the Bible that I can see that David's family ever really became that close to him. Most of his life, he didn't have much family that he could trust, and it affected him. Later, when he has kids, half his kids don't even really know him, and one of them leads a rebellion against him and splits the, the kingdom into a civil war, a civil war against him led by his own son. He's got his top advisors around him. One of them, one of his advisors that he's just kind of kept close because keep your enemies closer, one of, his last, one of his last requests as an old man is make sure you kill that guy. So put all those events on a bulletin board and suddenly David's life doesn't look so great. You can look at his life two ways. And every life can be looked at two ways. You can see the hand of God in your life or you can see the hand of the enemy in your life. Every one of us could see our life as a tragedy or a victory, depending on what you're choosing to remember, depending on how you're choosing to see it. We look at David's life as a victory because that's how the Bible shapes it. But the Bible actually doesn't pull any punches. The Bible didn't hide the bad stuff, put it out there. So why do you keep seeing David as a hero? Because for the rest of the Bible, what's recalled about David is what he did, right? What God did through him. And that's how you can look at your life. Yeah, you can look at all of the flaws and the failures and the enemies seeming victories, but every victory of the enemy carries within itself the potential to be a bitter defeat for the devil. It carries within itself 
the potential for self-destruction. Everything the devil thinks is a victory, God can turn it to his worst defeat. There is no victory that the enemy's ever thought he had in your life that has to remain a victory. Right? He'll bite your heel, but you crush his head. It's just the reality of being a believer. So how are you going to look at your life? How did David keep so soft-hearted? Listen, I've said this before, but this guy had to become basically a serial killer. That's how you did ancient warfare back then. You couldn't shoot from, you couldn't, put a drone over a village. You couldn't shoot from a mile away. You had to get in someone's face and pull a sword out. How does a guy, when there's songs they sing about David, when he's a young man, a teenager, maybe in his early 20s, they're singing a song that David has killed his, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed ten thousands. Now maybe that's exaggeration, but at the same time, this is a guy who knew what it was like to shed blood. How does a man like that have a soft heart? How do you not have, like, PTSD for the rest of your life? And I, I, you guys, you, the evidence is there that he did battle that kind of stuff. And there were times where it came out of him, and he had to go back to the Lord and deal with it. See, this was a man who knew how to, he caught on to some things about how to handle his soul. I believe he instituted some disciplines in his life. He was a worshiper. He was confessional. He was humble enough that he had an open-door policy with a prophet who could embarrass him in front of his friends. This is a guy who had a lot of reasons to have a damaged soul, and yet he knew how to let God tend to it. And one of the ways he does this is by saying, soul, we're going to bless the Lord right now, and we're going to choose not to forget what he's done and who he is. For my birthday, I got a new Hario V60. It's a very simple coffee device. It's not, it's not technology at all. It's got nothing digital about it. Nothing electronic. You don't plug it in. There's no batteries. It's just a funnel-shaped thing that the Japanese figured out how to make beautifully, as they do. It's Japanese, right? Mine had Japanese writing on it. Anyways. Well, the cool thing is I also got this gooseneck kettle. It does have a digital thing. It, I, I know when the water reaches a certain temperature, 96 degrees to be exact. <laughs> I grind my beans to a perfect coarse setting, medium coarse setting. I put them in the filter, 20 grams of beans, 20 grams. And I first pour a little bit of water on them to let them bloom a bit. That's the process of the... CO2 escaping the grounds. You only get that with fresh beans, not that weird Safeway stuff, the good stuff. And it blooms, you could see it. And then, here's the fun part, in slow concentric circles, after 40 seconds of letting it bloom, in see, I feel like Mr. Miyagi when I do this. Like I feel, I feel like I'm some ancient sage. I just learned how to do this. My friend Alexander Mills has a, is, is a coffee guru, and he's got this great gu guides to doing everything. And I, I watched and absorbed the information as best as I could and then copied it like a monkey. And, but then I feel like I'm... It does. It does. It does. It seems simple, but there's science behind all of it. 
And in slow, concentric circles, you start in and you work your way out. Then you go back again. And there's actually, like I said, science behind it. It's the science behind all of it. The, there's stuff happening, and you, whether you know the science or not, it's still at work. That's what happens a lot of times with God's creation. There's things he taught us to do. We may not know why, but it's following laws that are older than the earth itself. So in the book of Leviticus, when he tells them to let the land rest every seven years, that's before they know about crop rotation. But what we know now is that if you plant the same crops in the same soil year after year, it takes the same nutrients from the soil and depletes those nutrients. And it also breeds pests and other things that, that kind of rise up and adapt to it. So if you'll rotate the crops or let the land rest, it'll bear more fruit. Well, God knew that. Everything has a reason behind it. Everything has a law behind it. Whether you know it or not, you're operating within those natural and spiritual laws. And I'm going to tell you that this is a way I would recommend you would pray and, and confess in your life is that you'd start with these concentric circles like David does. See, he starts with his own soul. And he starts about what God is doing for him. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, forget none of his benefits. Now, it's not just for him. He's doing it for everybody, but it's very personal. He pardons all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And then the circle gets bigger. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. See, now we've, we've stopped talking just about my personal life. Now I'm talking about my nation and my history. He revealed his ways to motion, uh, Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Remember, these are all things. He's not teaching. He's reminding. This is not for you. It's for him. He will not always strive with us. See, he's gone from just talking to David to talking to us. Now he's including his nation. He's including Israel, right? He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. Do you see how this keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger? It started seemingly intimate and small, but it's getting bigger. So far as he removed our transgressions from us, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. See, we've moved from David to the people of Israel, now to humanity. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord, wow, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. We started out feeling very much like David and his soul were having a conversation. Soul, this is what the Lord's done for you. Then we begin to see Israel, this is what the Lord's done for you. Humanity, this is what the Lord's done for you. All of a sudden, we've found ourselves in the heavens. 
Now we're talking about God's throne above everything. His sovereignty rules over all. And that word sovereignty is a good word, but it's even better translated as his kingdom rules over all. Sovereignty, kingdom, they go together. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word. I thought we were talking to our souls. Now we're bossing angels around. It's expanding in him. I don't know what he felt when he started to sing this or started to say this. This is a poem, actually. It's written like a poem. It's actually, it has the same number of verses as there are letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And if you think that's an accident, you should read some of the other Psalms and some of the other places in the scripture where they, they, they actually use the letters of the alphabet strategically. And for them to use as the same amount as every letter of the alphabet signified, I'm covering all the bases. I'm talking about everything. From beginning to end, right? All of a sudden, we're talking about angels. Bless the Lord, you his angels. Mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts. A host is not someone who stands at the front of the restaurant seating you to your table. Hosts are armies. He's talking to armies of heaven who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his. In other words, all created things. And can we just let our minds get big for a second and realize that all created things is not just the earth and its inhabitants. God has created so much more. Things we don't even know are out there. We don't know exist. Everything he's created, bless the Lord. In all places of his dominion. Well, let me give news for you. There is no place that exists that is not within his dominion. That's right. Dominion means his lordship. Bless the Lord. Here we come back to start one. Come back to do, 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 do. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. What if every day you took time at the beginning and maybe at the end too and you begin to dig into your soul, what can I say about the Lord? What has he done? And you let it build because it's sometimes at first like moving a, a, a truck in deep snow and you rock it back and forth and you're feeling like, I don't feel very thankful for anything. It's been a rough day. What's the Lord done for me lately? <laughs> right? I mean, because we say things like that, or we think them at least. What's the Lord done recently? Look, even if he didn't do anything recently, is there not enough? <laughs> oh, there's a really cool thing that our Jewish friends have been saying for thousands of years since Passover. And every Passover, they say it again. They stand up, and if I had prepared to say this, if I knew I was going to talk about this, I would have written the Hebrew down, but I don't remember. But in English, it's, it, they, they say it in Hebrew, but in English, it means this. It would have been enough. And they say, it would have been enough had you delivered us from the Egyptians. It would have been enough if you had done this. And they go through all the things God does and said, it would have been enough. But in true nature of God. It would have been enough, but he's more than enough. 
It would have been enough if you'd just done this. It would have been enough if you had just done this. Oh, it would have been enough if you had just done this. And what they're doing is they're building gratefulness and, and, and it's eliminating and destroying that, that terrible root of entitlement within us. That's, that, that pride and greed that says it's never enough. You see, never enough is really not about what you have. Never enough is about what you think you need or what you think you have. Because there are people who are billionaires who say it's still not enough. Their souls aren't satisfied. If you think never enough and more than enough are about, are about quantity, then why is it that you can run into someone in China who has way less than you and they say this is more than enough? It's about joy. It's about satisfaction. It's about peace. It's about wholeness. Never enough is a symptom, it's a sickness, it's a disease in the human soul that says, I'll never be happy, I never have enough. They, they say the opposite, it would have been enough. Mm-hmm. It would have been enough, it would have been enough. But they just keep building on what God's done. Right. Recognizing you are so good, you're better than we deserve, you're better than we thought you could be. And David starts out, not based on how he's feeling, but based on what he knows about God, I'm choosing to not forget. I'm choosing to remember. And the best way to choose to remember is to use that mouth. I've said this before, but when my dad was alive, we went through this season in the church where after a sermon, he'd say, let's bless the Lord. And we're used to being led into things. But sometimes we just want the repeat after me stuff because then I don't have to think. Let's just bless the Lord. So we'd all start out there. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you're good. God, you're hmm. And then uh, us Pentecostals would just start praying in tongues because we ran out of things real quick. <laughs> but we kept doing it every Sunday, every Wednesday. And then you kind of build the muscle, right? You start saying, oh, bless the, what is the what is, who is God? What is it about him that's awesome? There's so many things. What has he done? That's so many things. What has he done for me? All the things you can build together, right? And you just start telling him about it. You start praising the Lord. You know, a lot of times when we say praise the Lord, people go, praise the Lord. But that's just repeating what I just said. <laughs> You know, a lot of times in the Psalms when it says, praise the Lord, he's not saying, say praise the Lord. He's saying, actually praise the Lord. Use your words. Figure it out. And true enough, after we get a month or two months into this, we could go for 15 minutes. And what I found out, and I was just a teenager, but what I found out was when I get home, praise would spill out of me. When I didn't, well, I wasn't even trying. Because you'd work that muscle in yourself to remember what God has done. You had developed praise and glorifying God and blessing the Lord with your mouth as a habit. And you find when you're driving, you're blessing the Lord. What am I doing right now? Oh, I'm blessing the Lord. It became the thing that almost like you get out of bed and if you didn't bless the Lord, you felt weird, like something was missing, and so you'd stop and bless the Lord. This is about tending to the garden of your soul as much as it's about doing something for his pleasure, and I know that it pleases God. 
But it's also really, really good for you. Because when you begin to bless the Lord with your soul, it trains your soul to look at everything differently. Your soul is the lens in which you interpret the world. The world is neither good or bad in your eyes. What happens to you is neither tragic or victorious. It is what it is. It's all about how you see it. Now, some things are evil and some things are good. But whether you see victory or defeat in it is all about what lens you're seeing it through. And your soul is that lens. And your mind is supposed to be renewed by the word of God. So when someone sees utter defeat, you can see the victory of God working. And you're training your soul by blessing the Lord. So what you'll find is you'll go through your day and what would have ticked you off doesn't tick you off anymore. What would have freaked you out and scared you doesn't scare you anymore. The things you saw as obstacles now seem like opportunities. And it's not because suddenly you've worked some weird new age trick. This isn't new age. This isn't some say the nice things and nice things happen. This is I will remember who God is. And I will remember what he's done. And then I see everything in the lens of, is it bigger than God? No. Is it, is it so bad that it's worse than he is good? No. His goodness is bigger than the badness of this. Right. If you were to keep reading, Psalm 104, he goes, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a cloak. I mean, he goes off. It just builds. I don't know if these were written in the same sitting or if they were written years apart, but it doesn't matter. You read these psalms together, they build, they build, they build, and then they come back down. It's the concentric circles. It's how I pray sometimes. I start praying, Lord, these are the things of my own life. These are the things, then the people directly around me, then the church, then the nation, then the world, then come back. This is not some weird ritual. This is just disciplining yourself and seeing how waking and tilling the soil of your own garden, mm -hmm. digging into layers because all of your life is layered, right? There's so many, there's layers. And some things you've buried very deep down and God knows them. But some things you never let God access because you, you never go past the surface with God. Your prayer life is all about what I need right now. And God cares about that, but that's just the surface. What you need right now, nothing that you need right now is going with you. Materially. So it's the least important of all your cares, and yet we stop there. It's not not important. God cares about it but he cares also about everything else. Kwong said something on Sunday. He said when he was addicted to heroin in Vietnam that he was addicted to the drug, but he also began to steal and join gangs. There was all this stuff that came with it. And he thought his problem was that he had a drug addiction. And he went back and realized there was roots within his own life that led him to addiction. Yeah. Now, you could take that too far where you just blame everything on something, but there's truth to this. And some people will spend the rest of their life 
putting out little fires and they'll never know what's really causing those fires. They'll spend the rest of their time putting bandages on the, the boils that are coming up. They don't know why. Why do I keep having these things pop up? And if you'll let God into this daily part of your life, if you'll tend to the garden of your soul by blessing the Lord and all that's within you when you don't feel like it, right? When you don't feel like it's when you most need it, you know that. That's why it's important that it's, that's why it's called a discipline. It's like working out. Nobody likes to start to work out. Do you? Like, I mean, when you first start working out, maybe you took the holidays off and you start back up again. Nobody enjoys that. That's not fun. But you know it's good, so you do it. Then you do it for a while, you actually start to enjoy it. If you miss a session, you, you really miss it. You wish you were doing it. But that first bit, you don't work out because you feel like working out. You work out because you know it's going to do you good. This is so much bigger than that. So can I ask you to, to begin to institute this in your life, to begin to bless the Lord as a practice daily. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to do this for the rest of your life because that's way too big for me to ask you. I'm going to ask you to do this for one week. All right? Any brave people here for one week? I don't, I was going to set a time. I don't know what time I should give you. At the beginning of your day, set time aside. You decide how much long that is, but set time aside and choose to bless the Lord and come up with things to say. Draw from his word. Draw from who he is and what he's done. But dig into your soul. Dig into your, dig into your, your own self and say, God, don't just say it with empty words. Don't just repeat. And you know what? Repeating this psalm would be good, and you should do it. But don't just repeat this mindlessly. Dig in and say, Lord, what has the Lord done? What has he done in me? Who is he to me? And I've got some questions I want you to consider tonight as we've has been our practices of late. I really enjoyed that. So out of the, the first few verses that we read, which of those divine benefits do you think of most? So when I said, he pardons all my iniquities, he heals all my diseases, he redeems my life from the pity, crowns my years of loving kindness, all those things. Which of those things do you go, I think about that all the time. Like, I, I honestly, are, that's one of my favorites. Which, which one of those got you real excited when you read it? That's good. Those are good things. That means probably the reason you got excited is because God's really put roots. That's, that's got roots in your life. You know what I mean? It's got roots in your life and it's begun to bear fruit in your life. That's why when you see it, you get really excited about it because it's real to you. It's a revelation to you. It's more than just something you know. It's something you are. So when you hear it, you get excited, right? You've lived it out. You've seen it in your life. You should celebrate those things. You, you should pass those things on to other people. Because probably the reason that it's bearing so much fruit in your life is because, like I said, it's, it's gained some real ground in, in your life. And, and that's something you need to share with some people. Which of these things do you need to be reminded? Those things that we read, which of them do you need to be reminded to remember? Like when we read it, you go, oh, yeah. 
The Bible does say that that's what God does, although I don't think of it very much. It's not big to me. Well, that, that's evidence that that seed hasn't really gone that deep in your life. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe it's only going to the surface. And what I would recommend you do is dig. Think about it, pray about it, live it out, and talk about it. Let it go deeper than it's been before. If it doesn't really hit when you read that, if, you, if it doesn't just, you know, there, the, whether it be he pardons my iniquities, he heals my diseases, he, he crowns my ears with goodness, all these things, like, if any of those just said, well, I need to be reminded because I don't think about that that much. It probably means that that seed hasn't gone as deep as it can go. So cultivate that. Think about that. Maybe just do a study on it. Maybe, uh, you know, go deeper into the word about that. And then the last thing I want to leave you with, the last question, is what would you add to this list? I'm not, adding, I'm not asking you to add to scripture. Like, <laughs> I'm not asking you to put your own scripture and write it in the margins of the Bible, but Psalm 103 is not an exhaustive list. It's not everything God's ever done, right? You guys know that. I mean, remember in Jesus in three, maybe three and a half years of ministry, John wrote his gospel and said, if I were to write everything Jesus did in these couple of years, these few years, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to, to fill them with all of this. So if, if he was talking about a minute amount of time that Jesus was on the earth, then my goodness, there's not enough books in the world to talk about all that God has done. So Psalm 103 is not everything God's ever done. It's just a few things. So what else does the word tell us about God? What else does he say? This is what I've done and this is who I am. And this is what I do for you. What would you add to that list? What's real to you? What's big to you? Because these are some things I want you to talk about tomorrow morning. And I'm going to do it with you. There's been seasons in my life that have been real good about blessing the Lord, and there's been seasons in my life that I let busyness become a God. Don't ever let busyness take control of your life. There is nothing so important that it outranks your relationship with the Lord. There's nothing so important that it can't be moved around a little bit. We all know how to move things around for things that are important. This is important. And I, we've often talked about the tyranny of the immediate. The things that will run your life are the things that just come up at the last minute. And as a pastor, I know this better than anybody. If I don't set boundaries on my life, my life will be consumed with things that just come up. And the immediate things will eat up the long-term vision in your life. They'll eat up everything that's lasting in your life. You'll put out all these fires and never really do anything that lasts. And so can you make time for something eternal?